This is Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. We are located at 100 North Lake Avenue. Our Sunday morning services start at 1045 a.m. Sunday school is at 930 a.m. You can find out more information about First Baptist Church at fbcap.net. This is part of our current Sunday evening series called 18 Words You Really Need to Know. Take your Bible, if you will, and I want us to look at a great word, the word election. First, as you, as you well, let's do this. As you take your Bible and turn to the table, uh, the concordance. Every Bible has a concordance. If you have a Bible that has a concordance, that doesn't make sense. Every Bible should have a concordance. So let's first just realize that election is a biblical word. So as I go to my Bible, I open it up and I look at elect and election. And what do you know? It's in there. Election is a biblical word. Um, It literally means to pick, to call out. That's what the word means. And we see the word elect and election it's a biblical word meaning that, that God is doing something with salvation, that, that people are saved. There, there's something that takes place that enables us to see Christ and see the cross and call out in repentance and faith. It is something that God is over and God is control over, and that is the word election. We will not get through everything this week, and probably it will be next Sunday night. We'll take a, a, a look of Scripture and how these verses play out. But it's just important to know, one, that election is a real word. It's a word that is in Scripture. So, therefore, I think it's something we need to take a deep breath and just get comfortable with. It's a biblical word. Uh, it's okay to study it and to look at it. I want us to look at three verses of Scripture as we get started and we think about this great doctrine of election. And all three of these fit together perfectly when we think about election and what God is doing when he calls us out uh, into salvation. Uh, Ephesians 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. Now we know that we have been blessed in Christ. Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now listen to verse 4. Even as he, and this is as we, as we read that sometimes, we, it causes us to stop. Even as he chose us in him, as he, uh, you, you notice we use that as kind of a, 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 a logo for for tonight technology is enabled us to do this it's the idea that that God has reached out to heaven and done something that allows us to be saved so as God chose us in him in Christ before the foundation of the world and so we know that God is doing something from Gen- from the very beginning God was doing something and, and somehow biblically we were involved with that process those that would call on the name of the Lord that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. So we, the call is to be holy and blameless before him in love but there's no way that can take place until we uh, repent and place our faith in Christ and, and as the, Jesus did, he tore that temple veil down and allows us. So you see that before the foundation of the world, God was doing something. In, he did something. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. John 3.16. Do we need to turn there? For God so loved. We talked about that this morning. How much God loves his creation. For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only son. And whosoever, I always read whosoever, even though my translation says whoever. I think when we get to heaven, Jesus is going to speak a little King James English. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. From the foundation of the world, he chose me in him. 
But then I clearly read in Scripture that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. Those don't contradict one another. They fit together. God's had a plan. He chose me before the foundation of the world in him. That whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4. Beginning in verse 1, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayer. So this is 1 Timothy 2, 1. Ephesians 1, 4. John 3, 16. 1 Timothy 2, 4. Verse 1 reads, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead in peaceable life, godly and dignified the way. So the charge is, hey, church, pray for one another. Live a peaceable life. Pray for those that love you. Pray for those who don't love you. Pray for the Democrats. Pray for the Republicans. Amen. It's not anything to do with politics, but we can, that's what we're supposed to do. Pray for people. Pray for people. Pray for people so that we may live a dignified life. This is good, and it's pleasing to God, our Savior. Notice what verse 4 says. Who desires all people to be saved. He chose us in the beginning. He loves us so much that whosoever... And God desires for all men to be saved. Every aspect, every verse, every element of that is absolutely true. And to deny any of that is unbiblical. He chose me. I can stand, you know, when I get to first, you know, when I get to Ephesians 1, he chose, you can't dance around that. You can't skirt around that. You can't, oh, you can, you can decide not to say anything about it. He chose you in the beginning before the foundation of time. There's no way to trick that word or play with that word for it to mean anything else. That's what it means. He chose you before you were even born. But yet, he loves the world so much that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and he sits on his throne in glory and he desires all mankind to come to Christ. Isn't election wonderful? Right now, your just mind exploded, didn't it? And when I read Ephesians 1.4, some of y'all went, Yes! And I read Ephesians 2, 1 Timothy, yes! See, that's where the repentance needs to take place. There's no doubt, oh, I will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ with my beating my chest in a not arrogant way because I won't be arrogant in heaven. I will beat my chest before Jesus Christ and say, thank you for election. Thank you for choosing me before the foundation of the world. Thank you for being a God that is a control in every molecule of every atom of everything in this world. And I'll also say thank you for desiring all men and women and children to be saved. Isn't election a great word? I'm going to read some things to try to help us understand why it is so, it, it is crazy how this one word, it, it, it can be so confusing and so devising that nobody ever talks about it. I literally, there are so many times in seminary, a good Southern Baptist seminary that I go to, a good Southern Baptist college in the panhandle that we help support. I'd sit in class so many times and raise my hand and say, why have we never heard this word? Why have I never heard about this historical figure? Why have I never heard about this in the church I attend? And they would, the president would always say, I don't know. I don't know why we're so afraid to talk about these things. Why not talk about them in the church when our, when our pastors are going off to be equipped to lead the church? We hear these things. I like playing with definitions to help me. I'm sure I picked this up from somebody, so I'm not, I'm not trying to plagiarize. If I say to go, well, I don't know who said that. God has a people that are his, and he makes sure they come to Christ and are saved. That's election. 
Christ has got a, uh, God has a people that are his, like Israel, okay? Did he not choose Israel? Yes or no? They didn't, they didn't tell, Abraham didn't say, I'll, I'll go. No, he said, you'll go. You go. You're my people. So God has a people that are his, and he's going to do, he's going to make sure they come to Christ. God the Father has got a people. God has a people, and they're going to come to Christ, and they're going to be saved because they're his people. As he loves the world and desires all men to be saved. This election and individual responsibility are not concepts that need to be proved or disproved. We don't say that God is in control, but he's not in control of this, or or God is, or we're not responsible, that we're robots. No, human responsibility, free will, however you define that word, we'll get to definitions in a minute. Human responsibility is not an enemy with God's sovereignty. Election is God foreordaining, predestined, and choosing you by name before the foundations of the world. And you came to faith in Christ when you repented of your sin and reached out in faith. They are not enemies. We do not reconcile those two things. They are friends. But what we do in a lot of our churches is we, we, we want to reconcile them. They do not need to be reconciled. They are friends. Deuteronomy 29 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. The secret things belong to God. We don't have to reconcile them. Another thing that I think about often is prayer. I know that God is in control of everything, but I pray for God. I pray for God's will to be done, but as I pray, I plead for him to answer my prayer. And I know that Scripture says that God answers the prayer of a righteous man. The prayers of a righteous man availeth much. And so if we pray that God is not in control, what are we praying to? But if we pray that our prayers don't matter, why pray? We don't need to reconcile those two things. They are not enemies. We embrace them because of who God is. Four things I want us to look at very quickly. Why is this so controversial in so many churches? You may be here tonight and go, why in the world? What is going on? You You do some reading on the subject and you'll understand what I'm saying. Why is election, why is our stance of election so controversial in in our Christian environment? Well, I believe it falls with this. We do not know how to define the terms. Have you ever met someone? I'm a good example. I'll use politics as an example. Don't throw anything at me or don't applaud me. I am a Republican. I have voted Republican for the president all the time. I thought it was the neatest thing in the world. I voted for Ronald Reagan. I am fine with that. I've got friends that have the, the don't tread on me flag tattooed on their forehead. They want me to join the Tea Party and, and tattoo that. on my. I, I'm not doing that, okay? What are you, a, a Hillary lover? No, I'm not a Hillary lover. I'm a Republican. Well, you're not a Republican to me because you're not as emphatic about it as I am. And then we look at the Democratic Party and you go, well, I like Hillary, but, you know, and Bernie's folks are just screaming at the Hillary folks because you're not really a Democrat because you don't vote. Isn't that funny how we do that? That's what happens. They're preaching a false doctrine because they're this. Well, what is that? Define that. And so we take the words Arminianism and Calvinism and we don't know what they mean. And we define our enemy for them. You know? I still think all Florida Gator fans are redneck and wear blue jean shorts. Amen. See, I'm right. Who would ever want to be a Gator fan? Who would ever want to, you know, we look, who in the world would ever want to be, ah, you know. And you can get a bunch of folks around Athens, Georgia, and we'll be talking about that. Who in the world would ever, and the, and the Gainesville folks are doing the same thing. So we, we, we're divided over it because we're defining what everybody else believes, but we've never asked them. I had somebody tell me about something that somebody, another staff member was teaching. And I said, well, have you ever been in there and heard them teach? Well, no. 
Well, there you go. So there's a lot of controversy because we define the terms. Let me, let, me, let me do this, and I always like to do this. The problem is at the crazy hyper extremes, okay? So if you, if you take someone that has a different view of, a, of election and they, they'll define that this group over here. And then this group over here will define this group over here. I'm not going to write it because I don't have time to write it. So when we think about God choosing, anyone that doesn't believe that God has more control over my will, we define the, farther, the further extreme. We define the, the hyper-Calvinism, the, the double predestination that, that God has ordained. These people, it's my duck-duck-goose joke, that God is up in heaven and ordaining them. They are preordained to go to hell. You are preordained to go to, to heaven. That if babies aren't elect, when they die, they go to hell. That we don't do missions or evangelism. If God wants people saved, then he's just going to save them. That is far crazy, right, hyper, double predestination Calvinism. And I don't even know if I've ever met anybody that believes that. But we can get on the internet and Google Calvinism and see that pop up and everybody believes that, that it associates with anything that's not what they believe. And then the other extreme is, the, the other side of the equation, you'll have some, some Calvinistic folks and they'll sit there and say, who in the world could be an Arminian? They don't believe in the Bible and they're all liberals and they think that we just have free will and God is not sovereign. Yes, there are those that believe that. That's what I read the other Sunday morning. That's what kind of the, the cults believe. That is what we call a, a libertarian free will. I have never met any one of those. But you see what we do? You know, a great question you ask, you need, we need to ask one another. It'd be like me. I, I'm guilty of it. I'll never vote for Hillary Clinton in a, a hundred years. What does she believe on the economy? I don't know, but somebody told me she's crazy. Well, I mean, is that really a justifiable argument? Why? I mean, could we at least not sit down and understand what's at stake? So that's why there's so much controversy. We're defining those terms. We're defining what the other people believe, and we don't really know what they believe. I am guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. Second, Another reason why it's so controversial is most people have never really considered the doctrine, how it applies to their theological word. We've never thought about it, and we've never studied it. So somebody said something about election, and it perks up our ears, and we um, automatically say, well, surely God wouldn't send somebody to hell. That's not the truth. Well, that's not what election means, is it? And we've never studied. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I, if I was sitting in church on a Sunday night before I went to college and seminary, I had never thought about it. I had never studied it. I'd never studied a lot of things. And so we have a lot of controversy over it because we've never really studied it. We've never really thought about it. We've never really read about it. Third, the reason why it's so controversial is most churches have members within their congregation that have different church backgrounds. And so what we bring, we become a, a melting pot of different beliefs and backgrounds. Let me, let me read something. Just to, I'm, I'm going to read this quickly, but I, I will come back to it. The, the two schools of thought of election are this. I'm going to just read these, and then I'm going to move on. Okay? We'll come back to this. So we have Arminianism and Calvinism. Those are the two options. We try to create little middle roads and call ourselves traditional Baptists and traditional Arminius and traditional everything, but those are really the, 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 two, the two things. Arminian, the conditional choice of God, the conditional choice of God by which he determined who would be saved. Based on his foreknowledge, he sees what we will do in the future, and he sees who will exercise faith. Therefore, the result... Election is a result of man's faith. Now, by the way, do you know how long these doctrines have been around? Oh, since about the 1500s. Do you know how long people have been conversing about these things? Oh, about the 1500s. 
You know why we have so many denominations? We can't really agree on some things since the beginning of the church. This is not new. That ought to encourage us. It's new. So it's not like we're going to figure it out in the next 10 minutes. Calvinism says the unconditional and choice of God by which he determined who will believe. So you can almost say God knows who would. God knows who will. It is by his grace. I'll read that, but it's by his grace, not man's faith. Election is the cause of man's faith, and it's based on his grace. So the reason I'm able to respond is because of God's grace through the Holy Spirit. I'm able to respond by grace through the Holy Spirit. That's Calvinism. Arminian would say, I respond by faith, and that's why I'm saved. We're going to look at those, okay? So here's what happens. Hear me through. Everybody pay attention. Methodist, Holiness, Wesleyan, Nazarene. You could almost say like a uh, John Wesley. Did I spell his name right? If you make fun of my spelling, I ask you to come spell for me. Because a lot of our churches have different backgrounds. If you are, if you're, my grandmother's Methodist, okay? If you're Methodist, Holiness, or Wesleyan Nazarene, there is no option. You are an Arminius. No option. And you, if you pastor one of those churches, this is what you believe, okay? They would not believe like Baptists do in some things, but they believe like some Baptists in some things. So if you join a church and you come to town and you've been, you've been Methodist your entire life and you walk in here and you say, man, I really like these people and I want to sing in the choir and I love the pastor and I, I want my kids to grow up here and I'm, I'm Methodist. You have heard nothing other than an Arminian understanding of, of election. Whether you've realized it or not, that is all you've ever heard. That is, you are Arminian when you belong to one of the, you may not know that, but that's what the church is. That's their doctrinal statement. If you take Calvinism, for example, a Presbyterian is a Calvinist doctrine. A primitive Baptist, if you've ever been involved with a primitive Baptist or any, any church, we don't see them down here much, you see them a lot up north. We're formed in there. If, you, if I'm pastoring a primitive Baptist church, their, their soteriology is Calvinism, very extreme Calvinism. You know, if you, if, you're, if, you're, if you come from a Presbyterian church background like my aunt was, she was a, a very Calvinistic in her thinking. If you, if you would have gone up to my aunt and say, well, I, boy, these people are arguing over election. She said, what does that argue over? I mean, it, it, this is what we believe. Here's where it gets fun. Where do Baptists fit in? We're autonomous. We don't have a, a, a bishop, an overseer. We don't have a, a, a pope. I jokingly say that. We always, whoever's the hot pastor around, we call him the pope of the convention. You know, we don't have a pope. We don't have, we're not an Arminian denomination. We're not a, a Calvinism only denomination and so as a Baptist that's where a lot of times we get into disagreements Southern Baptists are unique we are denomination yet each church is autonomous our guiding doctrinal statement is the Baptist faith and message which has been adopted by our church I don't know any idea when it was I probably could look at the constitution tell you what year it was and so as as a Southern Baptist church we say this is what a Southern Baptist church believes. Okay, so if, you, if you've been Methodist, a Holiness, or Wesley, or Nazarene, and you love John Wesley, and you're Arminian, that's fine. Guess what? They're all going to be in heaven one day. Do you believe that? Guess who else is going to be in heaven over here? The Presbyterians, and the Primitive Baptists, and the Reformed. They're going to be in heaven too. And they might even have room for Baptists if we behave. But we are unique. We're not an Arminian denomination. We're not a Calvinistic denomination. We're unique. We are autonomous. We adhere to the Baptist faith and message. I'm going to read some big broad strokes of the, of the Baptist faith and message. The scriptures. 
the Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. You can tell it's Baptist. It's got three good points to it. It has God of his author, salvation for its end, without truth, and any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and remain to the end the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all conduct, creeds, and religious options shall be tried. All Scripture is testimony to Christ who is himself the focus of divine revelation. Every dot, diddle, and everything in between is absolutely the Word of God. Every bit of it. But when we get in controversy, we start denying that. Southern Baptists have said, this is the word of God. You know, I've only had to ask a handful of people to leave my church as a pastor. Coming in from different backgrounds. Love me, love the church. Everybody loves the pastor when they first join the church. Then they love my wife and just tolerate me. About six months into that thing, they start talking crazy theology stuff. It has nothing to do with Arminianism and Calvinism. It's got to do with this. Brother, you're not, you're not welcome here. We're, we're people of the book. And we're going to stand on the word of God. As Baptists, we believe this. There is one God and one living and true God. He is intelligent, spiritual, and personal being. The creator, the redeemer, the preserver, and ruler of the universe. Ruler of the universe. He is infinite in holiness and all other perfections. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. And his perfect knowledge extends to the things past, present, and future. Why do we get so worked up over that? Why can he not know from the beginning of time who's going to be saved? Do we not believe God is sovereign? Why do we not believe that God wants the whole world to be saved? They're not against each other. We serve a, you know, a powerful knowing, perfect knowledge exists, present, past, future, including future decisions as his free creatures. You like that? I like the way we put that in. We're free creatures. We're not robots. To him we owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. The eternal triune God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father, as the Father, God reigns with providential care over his universe. What do we mean by Baptist? God is providentially controlling everything. We don't understand it, but we embrace it and we're glad he does. Aren't you glad I'm not in control of the universe? Wouldn't that be a weird place? Can you imagine me and Kim taking over for about a week what the world would look like? God is in control of the universe. I mean, just just think about it. His creatures flow in the stream uh, over his care of his universe. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving. God is not going to do anything that does not match his characteristic of love. You know, I think about this when children are sick. when, When a baby passes away and we think, how unfair. Well, it is in our eyes, but God is a loving God. When that loved one passes away, when that grandmother passes away, when that terrible thing happens, you know what? Aren't you glad that God is an all-knowing, all-loving God? God is Father in truth to those who become children of God through faith in Christ. He is Father in that. Oh, man, i got to hurry. I'm glad I didn't do this on Super Bowl Sunday. God the Holy, this is Baptist faith and message. This is who we are. I tell people this, it doesn't matter what your background is, this is who we are. That's important to know. Through illumination, he enables man to understand truth. Uh Uh-oh, what does that mean? That means something happens in our body, in our mind, in our heart, where we go, I'm a sinner, and I need to be saved. We don't just blindly I'm a robot and I'm the chosen before the foundation of the world. And we had this robot trance coming down front. I don't have like a list of those, who you are, but since you've been born. But we also don't just sit there and go, eh, I think I'm going to do this Jesus thing and give him a try for a little while. And God goes, I never saw that coming. 
See the balance there? It almost makes fun of it. But we know the Spirit illumines and enables me to understand. He, he calls men to the Savior and affects regeneration. And at the moment of regeneration, He baptizes every believer in the body of Christ. He seals the believer unto the day of redemption. Here's a, here's a great little thing. Here's a great little nugget for you. A Methodist, my grandmother, a Methodist, a Holiness, a Wesleyan, a Nazarene, if they're a good Methodist, Holiness, Wesleyan, a Nazarene, they believe you can lose your salvation. Y'all know that? So you know how many times I've been a Baptist pastor and somebody's in the church and go, now preacher, you preach, don't lose. I don't believe that. Well, who's right and who's wrong? You know, I always want to say, well, you, you don't want to join the Baptist church. I mean, you know, I, I hate that, but I mean, that, that's not what we believe. That's why I think it's so important that we say, we want everybody to be part of what we are. But this is who we are. We are Baptist church. We are a Southern Baptist church, and this is what we believe. They're going to be in heaven one day, and Jesus is going to tell them, see, you couldn't have lost it. Y'all are wrong. But anyway, that's up between Jesus. My grandmother would be the first one to say, I knew I should have been baptized by immersion. Um, and so when you come to a church and I'm standing up here preaching, I get all excited and start sweating and spitting about eternal security. Whoa, wait a minute now. We don't believe that. That's some strange doctrine. No, it's strange to you, but it's not us. It'd be like a, a, a Presbyterian coming in here on us today. Whoa, all that immersion stuff. We don't believe in that. Well, we do. And so you see what goes on? That's why it's so important, even though we can all get to heaven we need to understand when, when we say it's so important. At least they're going somewhere. Never tell me that. Never come up to me and tell me that one of your loved ones is going to some church somewhere. And I say, where? I don't know. At least they're going somewhere. That somewhere could be a cult. And that somewhere could be some church that doesn't even believe Jesus is who Jesus is. So just going to church does not count. You want to go to a church? This is an evangelical church. They love Jesus. They believe the gospel. Everything's good. They're going to heaven. These are evangelical Christian people that believe in the Bible. They believe in Jesus. They're going to heaven. I don't have a problem if somebody says, hey, we're going to the Nazarene church. I'm going to say, okay, this is what Nazarene believe. You're going to be have to work this out for yourself. Can you, you know, well, I, I think I'm going to become Presbyterian. Right, but you need to work this out. But the problem is we, we don't. And so I've always been a real big, I'm just, I just love being Baptist. It just fits my name. It just works for me. And I want everybody to be part of what we're doing, and we're glad that you're here, but we are a Baptist church. We decided that when the church was founded until the Southern Baptist Convention leaves the faith. I think we just keep being Southern Baptist. What do you say? Here's the Southern Baptist Convention. Our Constitution says about man. Man is a special creation of God. I love this. By his free choice, man sinned against God and brought sin to the human race. How can God be in control of everything and man willfully sin? That's just how wonderful God is. We're not robots. We have a, a will and a mind. And then it goes on to remind us it's only by God's grace that we're brought into holy fellowship and enabled to fulfill the creative purpose of God. Regeneration under salvation of the Baptist faith and message. Regeneration or new birth is a work of God's grace. Now you cannot deny that. We're going to sing a song. This is, you will not believe this. So just pay attention. What if I told you that the song we sing at the invitation was written by a man that had a Calvinistic background? You're looking right now to see what you're singing. You know, what? what's our invitation? It's, it's not the enemy. You know, there are a lot of hymns that weren't written by Calvinists. You know that? What we need to do, Joy, is we'll take a, a marker. We, what color do you want Calvinists to be and one color can be the other, and we'll go through it. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter. My salvation is a work. Of, here's my thing. My salvation is a work of grace because it sure ain't a work of John. Whereby believers become new creation. Repentance is a genuine turning from sin to God. Faith is acceptance of Christ and commitment to the high person. And I, can, I do not have time to read all this. Election. 
This is Southern Baptist Convention, Baptist Faith and Message. Election is the gracious purpose of God according to which he regenerates, justifies, sanctifies, and glorifies. It is consistent with the free agency of man. It is. I tell the, the hyper-Calvinist, now hyper is the people we stay away from. I don't know what the word for these people way over here are, libertarian free will, I don't know. But hyper are the people we stay away from. They probably won't have anything to do with us anyway. They would say that there's no, nothing man does. That, that is hyper-Calvinism. We don't believe that. We believe that God's absolute sovereign over all creation is consistent with who we are as men and comprehends all the means and connection with the end. Meaning that election ties everything together. Without election, we don't have glorification, sanctification, and justification. I got to go from that. All right, that's all that. Baptist faith and message, print it off. It's in our Constitution. We need to know what it says. I'll tell you a good example of this. Sharon will be the first one to tell you this. We went to Minnesota, and here I am. Don't, don't tell anybody I said this. I'm begging, begging people to support the work in Minnesota. You know, don't mind begging for Jesus stuff. And then you go to some churches, and you don't even know what they believe, and you're just like, what? what's going on here? And I, I was talking to a guy on the phone one time. He goes, well, I believe this, and I believe this, and I believe this, and I believe that. And I said, brother, what? We're, 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 we're Baptist, we're Southern Baptist. You know, our people are giving sacrificially so that we can be a Southern Baptist church. And it is just melting pot of beliefs and nobody wants to stand for anything. And there's just nothing going on. And it was just, I would get so frustrated by that. I mean, I'm all for people coming from different backgrounds and different stuff and different things. But we are who we are. And that's who we are. We're all going to play together in heaven, but it's very frustrating. Our convention has a very rich history with both being more Arminius, because we can't be this Arminius, and we're not that Calvinistic. So you could almost say, you know, right in here, we could, we could, we could meet in the middle somewhere, okay? These people are good. Can we say these people are good? Can we say these people are good? Uh, these people we don't want to hang out with. Hyper people we don't want to hang out with. We don't want to hang out with these people. They don't even believe the Bible. There is a rich history of both elements of Arminian and Calvinistic doctrine in our churches that dates back to the 1600s. I went to Charleston, South Carolina. Isn't Charleston a beautiful city? Went to a wedding. I told Sharon, we got just a few minutes. Let's go walking around. And somebody said, well, you need to go by First Baptist Church, Charleston, South, Charleston, South Carolina. It's the first Baptist church in the South. And I'm like, I am Baptist. I got to do this. So I run down there, and, and I sit there, and it's, you know, did the selfie with John and Sharon, first oldest, Southern, oldest, oldest Baptist church of the South, 1682. It was a Calvinistic Baptist church. Who let them in? It wasn't letting them in. That's just that's who they were. Right? That's just it wasn't an issue. 1682, the first church in the South documented a Calvinistic Baptist church. And so regardless of where we stand in our theological perspective as Southern Baptists, we applaud. God's grace on First Baptist Charleston, South Carolina. And we're proud of it. Whether you're Calvinistic or not, you're saying, yes, go God. In 1755, there was, it's funny because it's just a spot, in the, in the, it's just a little spot in the, on a map. In 1755, there was a church in North, Liberty, North Carolina, uh, Liberty, North Carolina called Sandy Creek Baptist Church. And it sprung forth of the first great awakening, 1682, 1755, Arminian Baptist Church, documented on the books. 
Calvinists and non-Calvinists alike, we salute Sandy Creek Baptist Church. Without Charleston, there's no Southern Baptist Convention. Without Sandy Creek, there's no Southern Baptist Convention. And so our histories of different views of election goes back so many years. Why so controversial? This is so important. I've thought about this for a long time. There's been a heightened interest and a resurgence. Here's the key. There has been a resurgence in Calvinistic theology in good Baptist churches, good non-denominational churches in the past 30 years. There's been a a resurgence. You you would have never heard these things. There's been a a great resurgence in Southern Baptist churches, Baptist churches, non-denominational churches, evangelical free churches. We're seeing a lot of churches. Why? I think because in the 60s and 70s there was a battle over the inerrancy of Scripture. I shared this at our college in, in Graceville was hosting graduations at a, at a Southern Baptist church, Southern Baptist church at that time in Dothan, Alabama. They were a cooperative fellowship Baptist church. Okay, That's the liberal arm of the convention. The pastor stood up and was reading Genesis and he read about the flood and the story goes, he ripped that page out of the Bible and said, that didn't really happen. That's what a liberal believes about the Bible. That, so the, that's what the cooperative fellowship was all about back in that day. And they were, they were denying that, you know, the, the, the truth. It, did, it wasn't really a flood. It wasn't really this. So naturally, our college in Graceville said, you know what? We're not doing graduation there anymore. We'll build a gymnasium. This was years ago. Isn't that crazy? And so Southern Baptists in the 70s and 80s said, wait a minute. This is the infallible. This is the inerrant word of God. And so there was a battle within our convention for that. And praise the Lord Jesus Christ because of the providence of God, the conservatives won. Because if the conservatives would not have won that battle, the the Southern Baptist Convention would be like so many other liberal mainline churches that don't stand on the authority of Scripture. So because of that, a lot of the churches got awoken with the seriousness of Bible study. And so naturally, as they studied the Bible, these types of things arose from it. Secondly, we've seen a, 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 a Calvinistic slash evangelistic emphasis because a lot of our pastors in the 70s and 80s, in the beginning of the church growth movement, began to see a lot of elevated church roles and a lot of unhealthy conversions. And so you started seeing a lot of pastors coming into churches with thousands of members, very low numbers, and inflated stuff, and there began to be a sickening over how are we doing evangelism? Surely it's got to be more than just believing in Jesus and you can be saved. And so there began to be a stepping back and looking at how does God save? What is God doing? But within that, there began to be some controversy over what was going on. What election is not? I'll I'll end with this, I hope. This is all the preamble for the study next week. What election is not? Election does not mean that you want to be saved and cannot. Okay? I had a grown man, probably 60 years old, had been pastoring churches his entire life, and he, we were sitting on a bus, and I'll never forget this, and he, he some, it must have been in a bad mood that day. His blood sugar must have been low. You get old, your blood sugar does that to you. I never have understood them Calvinists on election that I want to be saved and can't. I was like, who in the world ever believed that? That, again, defining the terms. Do you know who the elect are? Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord is the elect. Could you imagine how, what, what kind of God would that be? You live your whole life thinking you're saved? Singing in the choir. You even sing solos every now and then. Take up the offering, maybe teach Sunday school, and you love the Lord, and you love Jesus, and you get to heaven, and Jesus goes, not. Hey, he thought he was elect, but he's not. That is crazy stuff. Election is not, I want to be saved, but I cannot. Election is, I want to be saved, I am. That's great news. Election is not, I want to be saved and can't. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Election does not mean that God sends people to hell. Here's a great illustration of this. I read this. It's not accurate, but I read it. Here's Jesus. I read a track. That's what it was. It was an evangelistic track. And the track was a voting ballot. And it said, you decide. Here's John. I'm going to make a little indifferent smile there. The idea is simply this. God's done everything he can do. The devil's done everything he can do. We're just born neutral. We're born kind of neutral. Not as good as we could be. Not as bad as we could be. And so the choice is who? Me. I can either choose Christ or I can choose Satan. But I'm, I'm, I'm neutral. I'm just, I'm there. I'm born there. All right, what does Romans 3.23 say? Okay, what, is, what, is all, what does all mean? What does it mean to be dead in our trespasses and sin? They, you know, what does that mean? Do I need to look that up? You're going, please don't look up anything else. Here's the way I see the Bible. Because of Genesis, because of Romans 3.23, here we are. It's not a very good description of that. Here we are. We're all headed that way. That, that, God is not sending anybody to hell because of depravity and because of our sinful nature, because of Adam and Eve and that mango. We're all going to hell. Okay, that's why Christ came. That's what we miss. Christ came because we're all going to hell. God doesn't send anybody to hell. We're all going to hell. And so election is not God. Why would God would never send anybody to hell? We're all going to hell. God loves us so much. He did what? He sent his son that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So election is not God sends people to hell. Everyone's headed to hell anyway. Does not mean that we're all neutral and we just need to decide between Jesus and the devil and that our fate is in our hand. Things we need to know. Give me five more minutes. God is a God of love and mercy. And he loved us so much he sent his son. When we think about election, we also realize that my actions are real and have real consequences. You know, if I, if I go walk out there in the road and stand on the yellow line and somebody runs over me, we're not going to say, Matt's going to say, we don't know why God did that. And his providential, you know, he just, John just, God just did that. We just, no, you're going to say, we don't know what in the world got into the pastor. But he ran out there and stood in the road and energy and mass and moving vehicles and all that science stuff took him out. Is God in control of everything? Yes. Did I choose to go stand in the middle of a highway and get run over? Yes. Did my actions lead to my death? Yes. Did God understand that that was happening? Yes. So yes, It means God is in control of everything, but it also means every decision I make is real, and it also has real circumstances. Things we need to also understand. My choices will not override the sovereignty of God. Have you ever fretted forever over some of the choices you've made? Do we have fretters in the bunch? Don't raise, you know, usually as husband and wife, one's a fretter, one's not. What am I do? What am I do? Stop, 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 stop. Your choices are not going to override the providential sovereign God of the entire universe. Heaven and hell are not waiting in the balance for you to make a choice. You know, just a simple thing about making choices. What does the Bible say about it? Does the Bible say anything about it? No. Within, just do what you want to do. Ask a couple of people what they think. Make sure you're not over missing it. There's some stuff. Just do it. Quit overthinking it. Our our our, our, our choices are consequences, but we're never going to override God's sovereignty. Could you imagine God being up in heaven? When we think about election. Well, I, I I built too many houses. You see the humor in that? You get it. I know it's late. 
I built all these mansions, but they didn't choose me. But yet, do you think that, you know, I've already got my room set up up there? You know, it's just so predetermined. No. God knows exactly what he is doing, but my choices really matter. We need to preach the gospel and encourage people to respond to it. We need to go to the ends of the earth to preach Christ. My devotion last week, it's so funny how God allows this to happen. And it, it, we're all guilty of it. Well, you know, real quick. I was reading in Psalm 86. God is merciful and he's gracious and he's slow to anger and he's patient and he's loving and he's, you know, helping us through these things. He's just, you know, go oh God, you know. And then I turn right around in my New Testament reading. Jesus knew all that would happen. In one reading, God is patient and loving. Just, uh. And then Jesus says that he knew what was going to happen. John 18, I knew what was going to happen because I'm God. I mean, you think Jesus got to the garden and go, I did not see Judas doing that. But yet Judas, here's a good thing to think about. Judas made a choice that had eternal consequences. And he went to hell for it. What does the study of this topic involve? I'll close with this. We'll finish up next week. What does this study, and this is where we need to get right and we need to get real, and every one of us need to get real and get right tonight. What does the study of this topic include? Humility. I've never had a lot of, and I struggle, we all struggle. How arrogant do you think we need to be over our salvation? When we think about grace, we think about the love of Christ, and we think about, I remember a picture that was coming out through Lifeway when faith evangelism training was coming over. You remember that? I think your church was involved with that. And there was a colored picture, and it showed the feet of Jesus on a cross. And all you saw was Jesus from about the knees down. And there was a black man, an old man, a white man, a youth, a child. And all these people were around the cross. And one of the people had a nail in their hand and one had a hammer. And they were all weeping. And the idea is we nailed him to the cross. I'll have to admit there's a lot of arrogance over here and over here. We're right and they don't get it. And we're right, and they don't get it. Humility. Over our salvation and how we treat others. How about some humility with that? You know, it's funny. I know who sent the email to that person. That person never picked up a phone and called me and asked me what I believed about anything. What type of accusations? I mean, just think about it. So we're, we're going to accuse. That would be like me sitting up here telling somebody what one of you believed. And I know that's what they believe. And I know they did that. And uh, my, grandma, my grandmother's Methodist and she's a, an Arminius and she believes in free will. And she, she wouldn't have a clue what all that meant. She loves Jesus and wants everybody to go to heaven. But we are not very humble. We think we're right. And shame on us. Humility. We think about, and I mentioned this, pride. If they just knew what I knew, they'd be right here. If they were as smart as I was, they'd be right here. If, I, if they were as smart as I was, they'd be right here. Openness. Well, I don't know anything about that election. I don't care. I just love Jesus. Openness. I look at it this way. If it's in the concordance of my Bible, I need to know what it means. I mean, it's one thing to pick on and debate about the, the mango. We have fun with that. The rapture of the church or when that takes place, we can have fun with that. There's a lot of things in Scripture. You know, somebody told me one time, well, I, I don't like what you say. True story. I don't like what you say, but it is biblical. I had a man tell me one time that he respects my view of the Word of God being the Word of God, but he doesn't believe it. 
What do you not read your Bible? And the Bible says it is, you know. Just be open to study. Diligence. I'll ask somebody this. I'll ask my Calvinist friends. Calvinist. Have you ever read a good evangelical Arminianist? Have you ever just sat down and studied what they believe and why they believe it? Or are we just going to launch grenades at them about how wrong they are? For those that will not claim to be even a hint of a Calvinist, have you ever read what a Calvinist really believes about salvation in the gospel? Have you ever heard of William Carey? Nobody's ever, raise your hand if you've heard of William Carey. Five-point Calvinist. The father of the missionary movement was a five-point Calvinist. Well, I didn't think they believed in missions. Well, you didn't study to see. So sometimes we just have to say, well, what do they believe? doesn't mean you have to agree with everything they believe, but at least we ought to be able to say, this is what I know they believe. This is where I know they stand. Last statement and we'll move on. I got to get to the end. Where's page three? Four things. Got to end. We got to end with an end point. Here's election. Here's what we're going to think on until next week. Number one, and I'll give you notes to this, but I didn't want to print all this off tonight. A man must repent and believe to be order, in order to be saved, right? Amen? We there? A man must repent and believe in order to be saved. Every person who does repent and believes will be saved. A man must do it. Everyone that does do it will be saved. Repentance and faith are things we do with our mind, our will, and our heart. That day sitting up for Hope at Baptist Church, I repented of my sins and I placed my faith in Christ. Here's election. Man must repent and be saved, but how are they able to? to do so that's the question if we are dead in our trespass and sins and we are separated from God and the only way that we have a relationship with God is through Christ how are we enabled to respond in repentance and faith that's election so when we have something like that all we're saying is Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind and now I see. That's election. God did something that we could not do. And he opened up our heart and mind to the gospel. And then we responded to it. I do believe in unconditional election. I do have a, a Calvinistic belief when it comes to election. I probably have had for the last 15 years. I grew up in a liberal church. I grew up in a church that would have given to the cooperative fellowship. And I'm embarrassed to say that. A liberal church. And I got saved. And thankfully Sharon's church was a good Bible believing church and I started attending there and I grew in my faith and we, we moved to Covington and I was part of a church that was probably more Arminius than Calvinist but I grew in my relationship with the Lord and then I took a, a, a year's ministry as a youth pastor and I was part of a Southern Baptist independent fundamental King James only hell is hot and sweat every time he preaches pastor and I've never been so scared I've never heard hell mentioned so many times in one week. My little old sweet liberal church growing up didn't talk about hell. God would never do that. And so I tell people, I have been everywhere. Sharon will tell you she was about ready to commit me to a funny farm. And she said, when I was in college and seminary, I said, honey, I got to get this figured out. I landed over here. Because to me, this, this, aspect of election gives God more sovereign rule over this and that's what's at stake how much is is my faith 
or his grace. Sharon will tell you this. I have never labeled myself a Calvinist, and I never will. If we had a, a universal definition of this is an Arminius, this is a Calvinist, then we probably could submit a list and we could decide this is who we are, this is who we are. We're, as a Southern Baptist church, we're not this Arminius. We never will be because we're not Wesleyan, we're not Nazarene, we're not Holiness, we're not Methodist. We're not, Ar- we're not this Arminius. We never will be. We're a Southern Baptist church. We're not Presbyterian. We're not Primitive Baptist. We're not Reformed. But we can be Calvinistic, we can be Arminian, and guess what? It'll be okay. But what we're not going to do is talk about these folks with no credit and talk about these folks. I think it is biblical. I think it's important that we know where we stand. I do believe in an unconditional election, the the Calvinistic view of election. I always have. For the last 15 years as a pastor, the first five years I probably didn't, the last 15 I did. The first five years, here's why, and I know it's over. Here's why. I had a more Arminian view of evangelism my first few years of ministry. If it is their faith that saves them, I will do anything I can do to get them to say whatever I need them to say. You ever been in one of those services? Every head bow, every eye blow, you know, every eye closed, free donuts, free car, come again, pray a prayer, check the box, get saved, get saved, get saved. Another one's not going to hell. It sounds good and it gets us fired up, but it makes me uneasy. I began to be more Calvinistic in my thinking. I'm just using the terms that the world uses. I began to be more Calvinistic in my thinking when I began to realize this. Can I not just preach the gospel with passion and excitement and say, whosoever will, will? Give an invitation. Let somebody walk an aisle. You know, it's like, well, they're sitting there, and I don't know what God's doing in somebody's life. I see see something about men. You'll sit there and clang onto the pew and get all sweaty, and you won't move. I, I see that. I know God's doing something. Just do it. I believe that we are responsible. But no one's going to be saved apart from the grace of God. We live in a society that we're getting further and further away from the sovereignty of God and we're teaching the gospel as some gimmick and some trick. And it's sad. I saw a a pastor present the gospel in a high school in Georgia and hundreds of kids came forward. And another pastor looked at me and said, if this many people truly got saved, this town would break out in revival. He said, these kids haven't even heard the gospel yet. All they heard was, you want to go to heaven, come forward. That's not the gospel. To me, it's always a biblical understanding of the greatness and the sovereignty of God. Both views have people going to hell. If you believe in an unconditional election like I do, you just know that there are those chosen before the foundation of the earth that are going to be saved and some are going to go to hell. I don't understand it. Doesn't make sense to me. I want to share my gospel with everybody. If you believe in a conditional election and you believe that God knows who's going to choose him, then why doesn't God just save the ones that won't choose him? Both people believe God is allowing people to go to hell. Does that make sense? If I think foreknowledge is somebody will choose God, God knows who's going to choose me, well then why not send somebody over there to get him to choose them? Both views have people going to hell. Both views have God reaching out of heaven and and pulling them up into his presence. With conditional election based on one's faith, I tend to push for decision. With unconditional election as a pastor, I tend to trust the work of God and the gospel. But I've said this since my return. We're not a five-point Calvinist church. We're not a five-point Arminian church. We're a Baptist church that if you're an evangelical Arminian, you're my brother in Christ. If you're an evangelical Calvinist, you are my brother in Christ. We're not lobbing grenades at one another. We're not talking about others behind their back. We're not telling people. I've had two people, and I don't even know who it is, and please don't tell me who it is. Just If, it's, if you're in here tonight, I just want you to repent. 
had two people visiting our church and somebody told them, do not be involved with certain ministries of our church. They teach heresy. Who in the world would do that? Now, do you really think in the bottom of your heart that Joy and Matt and I, or our deacons, are going to allow somebody to be teaching heresy in our church? And how could we accuse somebody of teaching? If I had a, 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 a snippet of thinking that somebody was teaching heresy, do you not think we ought to investigate a little bit? To my Arminian brothers and sisters in Christ, I love you. To my Calvinistic brothers and sisters in Christ, I love you. I believe God has great things for this church, and I have never been more excited to be your pastor than I am right this second. I am excited of this morning seeing Florence and Brenda baptized. I'm excited of seeing folks stand up here. I don't know what God is doing behind the scenes, but I know he's doing something. And I know the only way we're going to see what God is doing is as we proclaim and we live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can we do that? Can we be excited about what God is doing in our midst? Let's stand as we pray. And I do want to sing. I want to sing that great hymn of the faith. Lord Jesus, I thank you for our time tonight. I thank you that we can know you. Even something as difficult to, to understand as, as election. Lord, thank you for our finite mind because we know that you are in control. As we sing about grace, let us embrace it. And Lord, if there's anything in our heart that we need to move on from, I pray that we do it right now. I pray that we continue to look at the testimony of this church and we're excited about what you're doing in our midst. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.